0: Well, There's only the one verse I'll look at. That's the last verse. Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and verse 21. So, well, I should say thank you very much for the invitation to be here. It's a very gracious uh, of everyone. It's good to be here. Uh, but here, in, in verse 21, Paul is summarising his ministry. He says it's a ministry of reconciliation. If you go back to uh, verse 19... Um sorry, verse 18 at the end of that, the ministry reconciliation, and at the end of verse 19 is the message of reconciliation. So reconciliation is when you bring two people together. On this case, he's speaking about God who is holy, God who is righteous, and human beings who are unholy and unrighteous, and unlike God. And how do you bring the two together? We uh, often phrase our, all our uh, evangelism around, you know, How do I get saved? Uh, But the the Bible does work with another problem. How can God save us when he is righteous and and we're not? So how can he open the door and and let us in? There's a real problem. There's a problem on our side because we're sinful. There's a problem on his side for the same reason. And so how do you bring the two together? And uh, Paul says, well, I have this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing two enemies together, and I'll have a message of reconciliation. And this is the message. Paul is an ambassador of Christ, as he described himself. In verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, an ambassador is someone who represents somebody else, of course, He represents one government uh, to another. And the ambassador has no right to make it up as he's going along. Uh, he has no right to say anything except what his government tells him to say. So he can't go to another country and decide, well, yeah, I might declare war or something, uh, you, you don't have that right. You can only declare what you've been told to declare. And, and so Paul writes as an apostle, uh, as a saint one, as one who has been directly commissioned by Christ, and he is an ambassador for Christ. And this is his message. We we implore you or beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God how are we reconciled? Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the first thing we see there is this message is about a person. Uh, a person, of course, is Christ. Uh, God made him who knew no sin. This person is sinless. He, he knew no sin. There was no sin uh, in his life. Uh, um, in, in the Bible... The word to know often means to experience. And that's what he means here. He knew no sin, he experienced no sin. He, he dwelt with sinners, but he knew no sin. Now, all of the Bible declares to us that there is something wrong with everybody. So I don't know a lot of you. I don't even you know your names. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you come from. Uh, you don't know me. But there's one thing we all know about everybody that we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. I don't know exactly what you've done, or exactly what you've thought, exactly what you've said, but the Bible addresses us as sinners. All of us. There's no exception except Christ. So the whole Bible speaks of the universality of sin. I mean, you're born in a Christian society, you're born in a Muslim society, you're born as an atheist, you're born wherever, wherever people believe, there's something wrong with everybody, seriously wrong. Uh, I can give you a whole lot of text for that. I, I might just give you one, just to try to make the point. When Solomon is dedicating the temple, they're opening the temple in, in One Kings chapter eight. Solomon is praying, and uh, I'll just read verses forty-six and forty-seven. Uh, it's a prayer at the dedication of the temple. In Jerusalem, if they sin against you, verse forty-six, he "For there is no one who does not sin." It's a kind of throwaway life. Uh, so, if anybody sins against you, oh, there's, there's nobody who doesn't sin. So, I'm speaking here uh, about everybody. And you are angry with them and giving them to an enemy, so on. But if they turn their heart to you, uh, be gracious to them. Uh, and it just fits in with a whole lot of the. Uh, uh, the whole of Scripture—it's it, all declaring to us that we're sinners. A lot of people will say to you, a lot of, frankly, a lot of your courses will be based on the on the view that human nature is essentially good. Right? The Bible will say to you, human nature is fallen. It's created good. It has some sense of what is good, but we're fallen. We're corrupted. Something's gone wrong. But then it says, there is one person, there is one man, Christ Jesus, and he knew no sin. And these apostles lived with him for three years. Uh, They saw him, they heard him, they interacted with him, they were eyewitnesses uh, uh, to his teaching and to his actions, uh, to everything about him, all these mannerisms. And they all say, this one and this one alone knew no sin. Now, I could give you a whole lot of references, uh, you might, I might give you one. <laughs> if you want the rest, I'm quite happy to give you the rest later. Uh, but here's 1st John. So John's one of the 12, he's one of the apostles, uh, and in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 5, uh, it says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. So he is holy, he is harmless, he is undefiled, uh, everybody else is a sinner. And the apostles were very aware of their own sins. So when Jesus uh, does one of his miracles as a miraculous haul of fish in, in Luke 5, verse 8, uh, you know the episode, uh, Peter responds with, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He's he quite overcome by the fact that, that he's a sinner. Uh, if, if we, a lot of you want to camp last last week, who was there? It's quite a few. You know, so you live with somebody, you know, camp for a few days and it's alright, what if you went for a week, yeah, you know, what if you went for a month, you know, what if you went for a, uh, longer than that, you'd soon learn what rubbed you up the wrong way about everybody else. Uh, if you didn't learn it on the weekend, you can learn it very quickly. Uh, and it's not easy sometimes yeah. uh, people are just like that uh, everybody else is like that I'm oh, alright with everybody else that's the way we think isn't it uh, and so these apostles were very aware of their own sin in fact the Bible says that we're not aware of our own sin we're not Christians if we think we're alright we're not Christians we've got first base first base is acknowledgement of sin repentance from sin it's knowing that I'm a fallen human being and I need a saviour. If if I don't realise I'm a sinner, I don't need a saviour, do I? I don't need someone to save me. If I'm out there swimming in the ocean and I think I can swim, if a lifeguard comes up to me and says, I'm going to save you, I'm likely to be offended. (laughs) You know I only want to see him if I think I'm drowning, if I think I'm in trouble. And it's like that with Christ. He is Saviour, but he's only Saviour, it only makes sense to us if we realise that we need to be saved, if we're sinners. So that's the starting point for the Christian, but not for Christ. Christ has no sense of sin that he ever sinned, and all the apostles refer to him as sinless. The rich young ruler came to Jesus in Matthew 19, and he said, what good thing must I do to be saved? Tell me a good thing, I'll do it, I'll be saved. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, well, keep the law. There's a whole lot of good laws out there that God's given us. Keep the law. And he said, yeah, I've done that. I've kept that from my youth up. In other words, I don't really need to be saved. I've kept the law. There must be just some little thing you can add to that uh, that God has given us, and then I'll be right. Jesus said, well, sell what you have and come follow me. It's often taken as a lesson against covetousness, and I think it is. But really, Jesus is saying, "You have no sense of sin. You've come to me and talked to me about salvation, but you think you're already saved. You think you don't need to be saved. You're not aware of how fallen you are. Let me give you a bit, a bit of law uh, to show you how fallen you are." And the man goes away sorrowful. And you remember, the disciples they also look at him. You know, he he's when he says the rich young ruler, he's the rich young ruler of a synagogue. And he's a good man, you know. Um, Australia Day Awards, that sort of thing. He's that sort of person in a religious society. Uh, and so if he's not there, who is? And Jesus says, well, we're man. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I have to work out what Jesus is saying. Well, Jesus is saying we can't save ourselves. Uh, it, it is all of God. So all... Have sins. Everybody has sins. Don't usually quote the Quran, but can I quote the Quran here? Uh, in the Quran, Muhammad is told it, it's uh, Surah forty-seven. Surah means chapter, so it's chapter forty-seven and verse nineteen. And Muhammad is told, "So no, O Muhammad, none has the right to be worshipped but Allah." And ask for forgiveness. For your sin, it's singular, for your sin, Muhammad's sin, and also for believing men and believing women. And so Muhammad is told to ask for forgiveness. Jesus never asks for forgiveness. When he gives us the Lord's Prayer, that's not a prayer he prayed, that's the prayer he gives us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, whatever version you're familiar with. Jesus is giving it to his people, to pray. Paul is a sinner. Peter is a sinner. James is a sinner. John's a sinner. Noah's a sinner. Isaiah's a sinner. Uh, Abraham's a sinner. David's a sinner. It's it's all the way through. These are men who need to be saved. Jesus alone does not need to be saved. He's the saviour. So Paul says, I I will tell you one about someone who is sinless. He knew no sin, he's unique there's nobody in his category Muhammad's a sinner, Buddha's a sinner but not all sin but Christ never sinned. he was always well pleasing to the Father he's in a totally different category to everybody else we're in Adam, he somehow is not you know, he's in a different category so he's altogether righteous but look at verse 21 again For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So he's the one who knew no sin, but what did God do to him? Well, he made him to be sin. Well, that doesn't mean that he he made him sin, you know, enticed him to sin, because he he says that he knew no sin. But he does say that he's treated as a sinner. In fact, it says more than that. He's treated as if he was sin itself. The one who is sinless is, is made to be sin. God treats him as sin itself. Now, now what's he referring to? Well obviously he's referring to the cross. The cross, what's the, what's the meaning of the cross? Why the cross? You know, if, if we're so good and all God needed to do was tell us what to do and we'd do it, why does Jesus die on the cross? Well, Jesus dies on the cross to bear the wrath of the Father. There's the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's Romans 1 and verse 18. Uh, And There is something wrong with us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way, and, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53 verse 6. There's prophecy from the Old Testament concerning the coming of the suffering servant. What will the suffering servant do? Well, he have got a remedy for all. We're, we're all like sheep. Not in the good sense, in the bad sense. In the bad sense that uh, the sheep go astray and we've all wandered our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, that which the sheep deserved, the suffering servant took upon himself. This one who was sinless, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us. You know, on the cross, everybody cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people, like, what's that mean? It means what it says. The Father, it's forsaken the Son. The Son on the cross bore the punishment for sin. This 2nd Corinthians 5 verse 21. Just flip over to the next uh, epistle. It's not actually the next epistle he wrote, but it's in the uh, order that we have in the English Bibles. Uh, Galatians in chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law was, you've got to keep the law, and it's, you know, not, you know, 50% will get you the pass mark. That's the way the university operates. That's the way God operates. Uh, you have to keep the law all the time without any failure. The past mark's 100%. And i put it like that. Uh, the, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Well, by becoming a curse for us. He who is blessed, takes upon himself the curse that we might know the blessing. That's the message of substitution. And so the one who knew no sin was was made to be sin for us. God on the cross the father treats the son like he's a murderer, like he's an adulterer, like he's full of pride and, and arrogance. Uh, and he's a transgressor, he's a thief, he's a rebel, he's a blasphemer. He, he, he's everything he could possibly do. He's, he's trampled on all the commandments and the father treats the son like he'd broken the commandments, like he is sin itself. The one who knew no sin was made to be sinned. Look, he experienced no sin, but he was made to be sin. And the, the, the Bible shout against us that say either he is cursed or the curse remains on us we, we don't have to do anything in one sense to get the curse, we're born that way you know, that's how it is uh, we, we're born as fallen and corrupt people and we're under the curse of God and Christ takes that curse upon himself he, he takes the sins of his people and he bears them in his own body he bears the wrath of God something he'd never known before you know, in John 17 you know, the, the high priestly prayer he'd known glory with the Father and he'd known the love of the Father and he'd never known anything like what he experienced on the cross where he experiences the wrath of the Father against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men so either We accept that Christ has borne the curse or we continue to bear that curse. Christ is forsaken on the cross or we will be forsaken in the judgment. Uh, Either he took our condemnation or we will bear our own condemnation. It's it's all substitution. It's all exchange. So the one who knew no sin, he was made to be sin. Now, Now what's the result of that? Well, the result of that, he says, is that so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. God is righteous. We're not. We're the opposite. How can you bring the two together? What do most Australians say? Yeah. How can God receive when he's heaven? Oh, most funerals these days. What do you have to do to get to heaven? That's the idea. Don't do anything else. Everybody goes. Uh, it's not a real problem. You know, a rack problem. You know, God's holy. What's that mean? No, God's our mate. If he exists, he's our mate in the sky. And sin it's not a big deal. You know, I, I close my eyes to sin. God closes his eyes to sin. And uh, the idea that God has a problem with sin is just totally over to our culture at the moment. Uh, but it's not what Paul's saying here. God is righteous to be received in, into God's presence we need to be righteous where do we get it? How are we righteous? And he's, he's saying over and over again "If we're not righteous in ourselves. So it's not you, know, you be good and you'll get there. Well it's true if you were good you'd get there and I'd get there but the Bible says nobody is. So nobody gets there that way. So Our righteousness is not enough. And so there has to be another righteousness for us to be accepted before God. And and Paul says there is. Here's the sinless one who's accounted as sin by his father that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, the righteousness that we need, we have. It's imputed to us. It's it's, It's accounted to us. It's, it, it's ours by grace, by God's free gift. It is something we receive. And so we move from being in Adam to being, uh, in Christ. Uh, Horatius Bonner put it like this, thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of thee. No, nothing, no other righteousness is enough the righteousness I do is not enough you want to be spiritual tomorrow try hard, see how you go if you get to the breakfast table you don't work Uh, we're fallen creatures. we we can try as hard as we like and that's one thing most of us don't try as hard as we like but if we try as hard as we like we, we then see we uncover sin that we never thought we had uh, is the harder we try the more we see uh, so our sins are imputed to Christ and his righteousness is imputed or counted us. so if you're a Christian how does God look at you well he looks at you as in Christ so clothed in the righteousness of Christ how does he look at the non-Christian well he's on his own you know, what is he? whatever he is is he alright? Well, he might be better than a lot of people. Might be a nice fellow, a nice woman. Uh, might be reasonably kind. There might be a lot about uh, this or her life that's uh, reasonably impressive. You can't meet people like that. Uh, but they're on their own. They're on their own before God. Their righteousness is not enough. The Christian is clothed in the righteousness of another. It's, it's perfect righteousness and so God is pleased with us if we're if Christian. if you're a Christian clothed in the righteousness of Christ God is pleased with you because of his son he's not pleased with you because of you he's pleased with you because of his son if, if you have faith save faith in his son so Christ bears our sins but he's not morally defiled; and you know sin we become the righteousness of, of God in Christ, but we're not morally cleansed there. There's, uh, there's more to it. And uh, this is talking about the forgiveness of sins. This, in, in other words, you had a, you're doing sanctification. And you, your justification is about acquittal, isn't it? We're acquitted before God, declared, not guilty, declared righteous. Sanctification is, is a process of being made righteous. Of growing. Isn't it? So the one is perfect, the second one is imperfect in this life. Moral transformation flows from this, but we need to be acquitted first. If I die, how do I know I'm right with God? It's because of Christ Jesus being in Christ. The righteousness, come the righteousness, of God himself, the righteous one who knows no sin, uh, the one who is totally holy and pure and good. His righteousness is mine. That's the only righteousness that's going to get me there. And I have it in Christ. And I have it in no one else. That's why it's not arrogant at all to say there's this just one way. The world will tell you there's a thousand ways. Even the religious world, a lot of people say there's a thousand ways what's the other one What other way is it? Yeah. How I who am unrighteous, right with a righteous God? It's only through Christ. It's not even through following Christian law. That shows me that I sin. That shows me that I'm unrighteous. It doesn't make me righteous. So, what what's your hope of being counted righteous? before God. That's what this text is saying. When Paul's the ambassador. This is the message. This is Christ's message. Be reconciled to God. How? What's your hope of being counted righteous before God? Well, this is wondrously strange. Uh, Christ was made our hell that his heaven might be ours. Horatius Bond lived in the 19th century uh, but you put it like this was it, Scottish upon a life I did not live upon a death I did not die another life another's death I staked my whole eternity I didn't live the righteous life Christ did I didn't pay the penalty for sin Christ did so a life I didn't live and a death I didn't die another's life, another's death but my whole eternity I stake on that, that's faith that's that's trust in this fallen and dying world this is the refuge and the only refuge any questions on that anybody want to interact with that hopefully that's made sense either could you expand on
1: When Jesus became
0: sin on the cross, the apostle's creed says he descended into hell. How do we fit that together? I I think it means he descended to death. But uh, let let let, let, me—I think I'll get somewhere where you're heading. I hope, Um, Philip. uh, From Romans three, what's the what's the cross achieve? And Romans chapter 3, in verses 25 and 26, Paul says that uh, he talks about being in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over for my sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just that last expression is particularly there. What's what's Christ achieving at the cross? What is God the Father doing at the cross? Uh, God can be just and the justifier. If 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 a judge is just, what does he do? You come before the judge. I had a friend, there, you, you got Uh, parking fine, and his defence was, well, I was half in and half out, you know, and you picked the the half, half out bit to to get offended by. Uh, and he didn't get anywhere, by the way. uh, If a a judge is just, what does he do? He did the right thing. (laughs) Um, Okay, the right thing, so you punish the guilty. You say, well, what's the punishment for parking the wrong place? whatever it is, and you exonerate the innocent. So if the person says, well, uh, that wasn't my car, it was stolen somebody else, parked like that, uh, well, okay, you're innocent. So the just judge does what is just. He punishes the guilty, he exonerates the innocent. Before God, who is guilty? You, a <laughs> Who else? Yeah. So, everybody is guilty. If God is simply just, he punishes the guilty. He exonerates the innocent. Well, from what we just read, he punishes everybody. Only Christ is innocent. Did Christ earn heaven? Yes, he did. What about everybody else? Well, they in the judgment of God. So, how can God... God's got to be just doesn't he? He he can't cease to be just. In the forgiveness of sins, he cannot cease to be just, otherwise he'd cease to be God. So a lot of people get vague ideas, oh yeah, I'll just hope for the best at the end and all the rest of it, And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. God is just at the cross, he punishes sinners. Christ has taken the guilt of sinners on himself, he's been punished, but he's also the justifier. What's that mean? To justify someone. To acquit, isn't it? When, if I'm the judge and, uh, yes, you, you've done something radically wrong, you come up and I say, uh, you are justified, I'm not making you good or, or bad, I'm declaring you guilty or innocent. Okay, so it's a matter of acquittal, it, it's not a matter of I change you, make you the any anyway but the justifier is God equips God shows justice and mercy, where do you unite justice and mercy? The only place in the universe those two things are united perfectly are the cross of Christ, his justice is there in full. his mercy is there in full. what do you get elsewhere? Elsewhere is always a tension isn't it? You've, you've experienced that, you've been on this planet long enough you know, I, I don't know whether to be just or merciful in this situation. I don't know quite what to do. I feel a bit caught this, drawn this way, a bit drawn the other way. You know, the child's misbehaved. You know, what do you do? Punish the child, or you know, talk the child the child off? Uh, you, know, you know, this this fellow has stolen a car. The judge, says, what do I do? Do, you know, do I punish him, or do I, you know, he's got a few excuses? I'll let him go. Um, and give him a warning you know, justice and mercy are, are at odds with one another don't they? but at the cross they're perfectly joined together, God is perfectly just he punishes sinners in a person Christ the son, the sinless one and he is merciful he can show mercy while at the same time being just you take away the cross and it's up uh, let's hope for the best how do I know God will forgive me well, I just hope he does. But he can, how can he forgive you without ceasing to be just? Because you've sinned. Well, I don't know, I just hope for the best. That's not, that's not the gospel. So, Paul's saying at the cross, God is just and the justifier. Does that make, fit together? Anyone uh, else? Yep. Ryan?
1: Yeah. You talked a bit about substitution, about how God made Jesus seem like mm-hmm. in our place. I guess we kind of understand substitution, I mean, from something like sport, where mm. one person might gets something for they go on in our place. I'm just wondering if you could explain how Jesus' life. That they a substitute for all of us, but not just for me, like one, durable.
0: you Like, it's one person's wife, how, how is he able to substitute for more than one person? Well, it's, it's just, in one sense it's similar to being in Adam. Why am I like I am? Well, you know, I was born this way, we are born corrupt. And so we've inherited Adam's fallen nature, not his unfallen nature. So there's something wrong with us when we're born. And and uh, I've got some cute grandchildren, but uh, I know that you know, one of their first words we know, not yes. And uh, you don't have to teach them how to throw a tantrum. Um, they somehow learn that by themselves. And, and that's the, the nature that we're born with. And as we get bigger, we just become able to do more damage. Uh, uh, and if we just look at them and say, oh, no, this all sweet and lovely and there's no sin there, uh, that, that's a nasty thought well that's unrealistic we, we're we're fallen for, we're fallen and we're in Adam we're either in one realm or the other in Adam or in Christ and so Christ has come as the saviour of his people so he is the head of a, a people of a redeemed people Adam is the head we all go back to Adam he is the head of a unredeemed people if you want. We start out as unredeeked, demon. Anyway. So there's, there's two communities, if you like, in the world at the moment. There are those in Christ, and there are those who are still in heaven. Yeah. yeah. I think you kind of talked about this a lot. Um, I'm just wondering, i kind of relate to that. How,
1: if Jesus is innocent, how is it fair for God to,
0: it's not, it's not unjust, it's gracious. I mentioned the word grace. Uh, so if God simply is just, he punishes everybody, and we've got no comeback. I can't argue with God, say, well, you know, I'm really a lot better than you think I am. Because uh, God's reply is, no, you're a lot worse than you think you are. Uh, it's so justice is, would be damnation for everybody, just God's judgment on everybody. Uh, God is gracious without ceasing to be just but his grace is his grace his love is his love why does he love Israel? Deuteronomy 7 he loves Israel because he loves Israel Uh, why does he love his people? he loves his people because he loves his people not because they're lovable not because anything else has triggered off his love but because God has got a grace free mercy, undeserved favour if I you know the illustrations uh I held up this watch and I said well this is yours it's your birthday you can have it free and if you came out and took it that's grace that's a bit of I said look um, I've got a lot of photocopying i want to get done uh, if you want to come spend a couple of hours in my study and do it I'll give you this well that's wages you've worked for it we can't work for our salvation it's God's free gift for God so loved the world he gave it's only God's son. And so it's always free. That's, that's grace. Grace is gratis. Free. And we receive it. Yep.
1: Uh, help me by understanding. Give me an elevated picture
0: of what does grace mean. Grace means God gives me not only what I haven't earned, but what I've, if you like, de-earned. Um, if if I give someone to somebody who hasn't earned it, that's one thing, and I suppose that's grace, but it's more than that. With God's grace, God is giving us something that we've, where we've earned the opposite. The wages of sin is death. What have we earned? Death. Judgment. But the free gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus. So the contrast is with wages. What have you earned? I'm, I'm quoting Romans 6.23 there. The contrast is what you've earned and what you get. And, and if people want to come before God and say, Well give me what I deserve, they don't know what you're saying. So it gracefully to you know, John Newton said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound it saved a wretch like me. People often don't like the wretch, but that's, that was a key thing. You know, I I'm a wretch. Dreadful life. Read his biography. Slave trader, everything. Anyway, there's nothing he didn't do, and and then he became a Christian, uh, and he lives gratefully in response to grace. Is that? goes against Peter. Yes. Sir. You mentioned
1: the rich young ruler. Yes. Who said he kept the law? Can you explain law versus grace,
0: please, or in relation to grace? He, he, he thought he kept the moral law the moral law is you know, like the Ten Commandments you know, you shall have no other gods beside me and uh, no carved images and, and don't take God's name in vain and remember the Sabbath, I mean, this Old Testament law, um, honour your father and mother, shall not murder shall not commit adultery, shall not steal shall not bear false witness, shall not cover, so the, the, that's a summary of the moral law, there's actually more in there but that's a, a summary of the moral law and the rich young ruler was well I kept all that. Read the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus really uncovers the full depths of it, and C.S. Lewis said it was like being hit in the head with a sledgehammer. You know, so it's not soothing thoughts, but, you know, before you go to bed, right, there was something that, to hit you hard. He uh, uncovers the full uh, holiness of God and what it means to be uh, a Christian disciple. So the law is what God Demands of us, what He tells us to do or to be. So it's a reflection of His character, His holiness. All right. this yes. If you accept Jesus into your life, you need to build something more.
1: Just by faith.
0: With well, it's by faith. Um, but faith has some emotions. Now you say you don't get zapped and, you know, or hit by lightning or something necessarily. Some conversions are dramatic. The Apostle Paul's is dramatic uh, on the road to uh, Damascus. And so he's struck down and blinded for three days and there's all that. But not all conversions like that. But all conversions have the same uh, pattern to them. I, I turn from sin and I turn to Christ. I realise I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. So I turn to Christ to alone can so, save, and and that's the pattern. And Christ is Lord and Christ is Saviour. Uh, and so I receive Him. Uh, there's no merit. The mind is just God's grace, is God's free favour, and but I'm grateful, and so it has an impact on me. If we were going, let's say we walked out the street there. What's your name? Shital. Shintao. tell. She tell. No. Sit down. Okay. And you, you walk in, in front of a truck. And this is, this is just an illustration. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and this, this truck is tearing me. And, and I see it. And I jump in front of you and I push you out of the way. And I get smashed up by the truck. If you turn around and go, well, oh, thanks for that. That's good. And, um, no, I know you're hit by this truck and walked off. Yeah, there's something wrong with that. So someone who's genuinely saved by Christ, there's an obligation then to him, isn't it? So to serve him as Lord, that's that's not a that's not something that is a drain you know, this is awful, that's so a Christian life, you know, it's it's that's terrible, you know. It's not there's a this joy and peace in believing. So you're grateful to someone who saved you. Uh, so to serve him as Lord is is not onerous. Uh, Okay, so in, to that extent, you feel something. So it's not just, bare, you know, rearrange your mental furniture, and that'll do. There's, there's more to it. But I'm not saying how much spark there is or emotion. There is. I, I don't think i can answer that one. Uh, but but there is a gratitude to God for what He's done in Christ. That that has to that to, for it to make sense. I mean, Another one. What do
1: you
0: that's the hard one. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> You've got to keep falling back into sin. Uh, I, I think I'll just say two things. The, the Bible warns that if we take sin lightly and, and we just think, "Look, I can," Jesus is my saviour and He's going to save me, and I'll just keep sinning and that's all right. You, you missed the boat. That's not what He's But if a Christian genuinely struggles with sin, uh, and, and uh, yeah. yeah, the the Holy Spirit works in us and, and you know to get get it right, there's a constant process, that's what sanctification is about, the growing. It's not perfect in this life, it's not for anybody. But it is real. And so there, there is to be a turning from sin. If if I still struggle with sin after well, everybody does. Um, but if I'm complacent about that, think, oh that doesn't matter, know, God's job is to give sinners. God's job is not to forgive sinners. God is home. not there simply to forgive sinners and wink the eye So it depends on in, in, in what sense. Uh, how people say... I, I, I'll talk this afternoon about Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd-Jones was a, a minister in, in London and he, he said in his congregation, he had he was a very great pastor, he, he had two men who were ex, ex-rumpets. And he said, one, but he was converted, no trouble at all, got right on top of it, never had any problem. The other, he said, he struggled all his life, but he believed both of them were Christians. And uh, that's, that's uh, that's a good answer. Don't draw the wrong thing from it. You know, God is serious about sin, God is serious about holiness, but God is also the God who says, Psalm 103, He remembers that we're dust. In other words, He knows what we're like. He knows we We have a sympathetic high priest. He uh, was who even knew what temptation is. Jesus knew no sin, but he knows what temptation is, and so he's a sympathetic high priest. That's a that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So you don't take advantage of it, but 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 it's a wonderful thing to the sinner. Josh, yeah. question.
1: Yeah. Uh, how come Jesus was able to not sin? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right, was it? Because Christians claim he's the Son of God. Yes. Just because he was God, but he was fully human.
0: Yes. I think the answer is along the lines of it, Jesus is, we, we have one nature, human nature. Jesus has two natures human and divine. So he's fully divine and he's fully human. Because he's divine, he can't sin. God can't sin. It it, it says it's impossible for God to sin. Uh, It's impossible for God to lie. Uh, We say God can do anything, and that's right, but uh, a better way to say it is because he's God, he finds it impossible to sin. He cannot sin because of his holy nature. If he could sin, he wouldn't be God. Christ is divine. In that sense, cannot sin. In becoming man, she becomes true man, and including the reality of temptation. Our temptation to us is from the inside and the outside. If I'm tempted, I'm tempted from outside influences. You know, watching the television or something, or somebody's in my ear about something, and I'm also a corrupt heart. So something outside tempting me, and something inside tempting me. Christ's temptations are essentially from the outside because he hasn't got a fallen nature. But his temptations are real. The Bible it's, I quoted from Hebrews 4, and it, it, it talks about his temptations being very real. When he's tempted <laughs> by the, uh, the devil in the desert yeah, three times, they're real temptations, but he never sins. So we live it with a mystery, I don't know if I can explain it any more than that and the Bible explains it any more than that. Because he is true God, he can't sin, but as true man, I think you have to say he could but he didn't. and his temptations are real but he never sinned. And so he uh, shows his sinlessness in a way that we could not these temptations from the outside and he resists them all. I hope that's something of the answer that's it well thank you very much I hope it's been useful to you and helpful